is uh, Exodus. Moses going against Pharaoh. Uh, and he begins to articulate the suffering of his people. And Pharaoh is trying to hush him, trying to ignore him, um, doesn't take him seriously, tries to outmatch uh, the plagues that he commissions. Uh, it is of no use. Um, the people still cry out, God, what does God do? God hears their cry. It is a public expression of, of grief. It is lament, a crying out in pain. Uh, we see this all over the Psalms, by the way. The Psalms are not just praises. They're not just personal prayers. Uh, almost half, not quite, but nearly half of the Psalms contain lament. Uh, so do a run through the Psalms one afternoon, and uh, your heart's going to be going up and down, up and down. There's some really... Uh, like visceral cries that constitute almost half of the Psalter. Uh, that's, that's the first dimension. Okay, I'm going to run on the board a little bit. I didn't plan on that, but I'm just going to go ahead just for fun. I've been admiring my handwriting, which is in shambles. Okay, so dimension one of, of prophetic imagination. I don't know that Brueggemann uses the word dimension. Maybe he does. I can't remember, but I like that word. Pathos, again, that has to do with compassion. This, has, this is grief. Grieving publicly. Lament. No lament, no Bible. No, no lament, no Israel. No lament, no Jesus. No lament. Just go ahead and erase the entire book of Jeremiah. Brueggemann really presents him as the, as the, uh, the quintessential uh, artist of prophetic critique. Lamentations, Lamentations of course. <laughs> the title speaks for itself. All right, the second dimension. Okay, Jeremiah. The second dimension is energizing and amazing. So if we go all the way back to the story in Exodus. We see the energizing and the amazement really come out in the doxologies after the, uh, the Egyptians are drowned. And so the Israelites on the other side of the sea, they are, they are now safe. They have been freed. The boot is no longer on their neck. They're no longer building, uh, building bricks, uh, baking bricks. They're not, of course, they're not trying to find the straw, which was an added, an additional uh, laborious duty handed down on them as Moses was critiquing. Um, there was some blowback there. Now you're going to get the straw. Anyhow, they're done with all that. They're free from all that. And they begin to sing and to dance 
What has happened is energizing. It's amazing. They're expressing their awe at what God has done. Uh, And uh, the quintessential artist of energizing amazement at first, uh, until we get to Jesus, uh, is second Isaiah. Or we'll just say Isaiah. But you really get the, uh, the thrust of this in chapters 40 through 66. Uh, and remember, Isaiah, second Isaiah, is energizing and amazing the people who are uh, in captivity. They, they're in exile. They're in Babylon. Now King Cyrus has kind of poked his head up and he's on his way and I think 2nd Isaiah is sensitive to the politics of the situation. He recognizes that Babylon is in power. Uh, being diminished uh, and threatened by this other world power. Uh, and so he sees a new day coming. And he's waxing poetic in the middle of an open-air prison. He sort of looks like a madman, a little bit like a fool. But his poetry energizes them. Just with words. Just with word. Remember King standing up in the, in the midst of the dismantling of Jim Crow. It really begins with this community. He's a mouthpiece for the community, but really all he has so far is words. There are no laws yet. There's no integration yet. Uh, at least it hasn't taken off. Um, it's just words. It's, it's lyrical. Uh, it's dreamy, it's, it's mystical, it's, it hasn't happened yet, but it's beginning to become part of the imagination, and that's everything. Once it becomes part of the imagination, once you begin to wrap your mind around the possibility, for nothing will be impossible with God, once that begins to sink in, oh, this, this just might be possible. We don't get there without the words and the poetry and the songs. The speeches, the preaching. Now we come, we've come to Jesus. So uh, I love the structure of the book. We start with Moses, the Israelite, the Hebrews, and, and uh, Israel is born. Uh, then we're, we're talking about Jeremiah. Then we're talking about Isaiah. And then it comes to full circle in Jesus Christ. And everything, we, everything he's been talking about comes uh, to, to full manifestation in the, in the person and work, the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. He, he shows all of this. We, if we want to see how this works all in one person, we can look to Jesus Christ and see all of the critique and the pathos and the energizing and the amazement. And last week, we, we really focused on the critique and the pathos, uh, and we talked about how Jesus' uh, methods, the way he, well, starting with his birth, his birth uh, just sort of threw the hammer down on the powers, and they were threatened. Remember, Herod rages against this new reality. He's trying to find this child and murder him, and murders many children in, uh, in his attempt to extinguish Jesus' life. He's unsuccessful. The grief unravels his power even more. Uh, But that's just Jesus' birth. Then we get to his life, the the way he moved among the people, his his, um, uh, forgiveness 
his uh, generous, unbounded forgiveness uh, upended the system of cleanliness, uncleanliness, of the insider, the outsider. Uh, it was based on who's in and who's out. And Jesus is, is saying publicly, uh, according to um, me, <laughs> this system is, is over now. Everybody is in. Um, I'm sorry you don't like that. I know you're going to try to kill me, but I have to say this because it's true. Um, the way he upended the kind of systems of taxation and uh, the relationship between debt, debtor, debts and debtors, um, he, he's, he's bringing a new imagination to the forefront. It's threatening to the powers. They don't like it. Uh, that in, it, it enrages them. It confuses them. It renders them silent. Um, all, and, and then his crucifixion. We, we ended with his declaration of uh, welcome in the paradise to the criminal who's crucified with him. Uh, that announces a new reality of life on the other side of death. The, the powers that have pinned them all to these trees will not have the last word. Jesus in this mortal life is already promising that just on the other side of their last breaths, they're going to be together in a place called paradise. A kind of uh, place where we're with God and we're waiting for the general resurrection. It's my interpretation. Um, so that, that pronouncement, today you will be with me in paradise, flies in the face of the ones who say, today you will be. You will die. Uh, we will get rid of you because you are threatening us. Now, today we're going to talk about energizing an amazement in Jesus of Nazareth. And then I'm going to show you three uh, communities that I believe beautifully embody um, prophetic imagination and prophetic ministry. Okay? Ready to have some fun? Okay. All right. So, uh, it's really... Again, what I wanted to, what I said to you in the beginning, my hope for this class is that this that this would energize you, that this would give you a kind of new set of lenses through which to see Scripture, to see your faith, uh, to see the world around you. Uh, think of one lens as critique, pathos; the other lens is energizing and amazement. I want this to give you joy. I want when you when you leave this class tonight, after your experience uh, being together these five weeks, it is my hope uh, that each one of you will begin to see this stuff coming out in, in your life and in your work and your engagement with the church, your reading of scripture, your experiences with your Bible studies, um, wherever you go, some word, some term, or or some statement uh, that, that Brueggemann has invited us to, to learn will strike you and open your, your eyes in a new way. Because uh, we're always growing. Until we die, we're always growing and changing and being changed and being transformed into faith, out of faith, from faith to faith. Well, this is, this is what I'm hoping this class will be, a threshold to a new dimension of faith for, for everyone. 
So, we'll start with Jesus uh, embodying both of the dimensions at once. You will find this very familiar. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. These blessings are, are amazing. You're not blessed if you're poor. You're not blessed if you're mourning. You're not blessed if you're hungry. According to Jesus, now you are. This is new. This is amazing. This is, if you're in the congregation hearing this for the first time, you are struck by the newness, the new teaching, the authority with which he's speaking. You have not heard this before. We've heard it, most of us. Uh, and maybe we're a little bit conditioned to it, but first time this happened, energizing, amazing. Well, blessed are you, people hate you. That doesn't sound right, but it, Jesus will show this in, with his life, that it's true. But woe to you, so we, we've been here, bless, bless, woe to you who are rich, for you've received your consolation, woe to you who are full now, you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. Energizing and amazement and critique. Half all. It's all here in the Beatitudes. The blessing and the woes. Now this is the Lucan version. Uh, but we see depicted here in Luke uh, a combination and, a, and an intertwining of, of all that the, the prophets have, have been proclaiming, all of their uh, prophetic imagination, the different facets they showed. Jesus is the whole diamond. All of the facets we see in him. Uh, and he's also, uh, remember, he, he's gathered this new community around him. These are marginalized people. These are mostly uh, out, kind of outcasts. They're not powerful people. They're, they're peasants. They're Galileans, fishermen, uh, kind of, we might call them working class, um, uh, lower middle. Uh, if, you, if you were at my class last May about uh, the powers of class, there are kind of levels. They're on the lower levels of the class hierarchy. Uh, they don't belong they don't have um, wealth. They don't have power. They're not giving charge over military units uh, on their way to conquest. These are uh, the disinherited. And Jesus is with them. He's gathered them. He's gathered this community and said, you are blessed. All right. Now, um, you will be familiar also with... This account. Resurrection in Matthew. After the Sabbath, this is Matthew 28. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb, and suddenly there was a great earthquake. Now, this is 
there's a lot of seismic activity going on around uh, Jerusalem in the last few days. Because on Friday, you may remember, there was another earthquake. Uh, so Jesus, this is back into 20, chapter 27. Then Jesus cried again with a loud voice, breathed his last. And at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook. And the rocks were split. Tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. Okay, so that's that's earthquake one. Then we got earthquake two on the day of resurrection. I want to argue this is not in Brueggemann. This is just me taking Brueggemann and applying it. I want to say that the, the first earthquake was a dismantling earthquake, a critiquing Earthquake, a visceral earthquake, a splankna earthquake. Um, the curtain of the temple is torn in two, top to bottom. Uh, rocks, solid things, eternally solid things, were, were broken in half, shattered, uh, cracked, shattered. Uh, this is critique. Uh, an old world is ending. Things that we thought were always going to be uh, solid uh, and uh, never ending. And the way things are is the way things are always going to be. Jesus cracks in half, rips in half, shreds, shakes, dismantles. Okay? Earthquake one. Earthquake two. And suddenly there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descending from heaven came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow for fear of him. The guard shook. There's that word again and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. I know you're looking for Jesus. He's not here. He's been raised. Come and see the place. And it goes on and on. But this is energizing. This is amazing. Uh, and it's really funny. I want to show you the fun, one of the funniest parts of any of the resurrection accounts. Now, this, this Easter, kind of funny. Uh, I'm preaching, well, I'm preaching for the, the, the sunrise service. I'm preaching for Mark. That's the one where the women run away uh, and don't tell anybody anything for fear and amazement to seize them. That's kind of funny. It's Spooky and mystical. Um, I love that account. It just ends uh, like a Quentin Tarantino movie or something. It just the women are just running, and kicking up dust, and look where where are they going? They're not telling anybody. Well, in Matthew, at this earthquake, I think it's really funny that uh, the the stone is rolled back. So this angel just comes out of nowhere. Oh, it's descending from heaven, sorry. <laughs> Specifically, <laughs> heaven. Came and rolled back the stone. Okay, so the stone was supposed to always be there. This is a grave. It's permanent. Uh, you can't move it by yourself. Well, he moves it out of the way. No problem. This two-ton stone is like Plato. He just rolls, rolls it back. 
But then, what does he do? He sits on it. And that's, I don't want to explain the joke. You can't, it's not funny after you explain a joke. Why the chicken cross the road? Well, the reason he crossed the road, and the reason it's funny is because it's over and you lose the joke. But I think this is funny because uh, he, he sort of turns this old stone into a throne, new power. Uh, it, also, it's also kind of like a, you ever had siblings, if you're the oldest sibling, little brothers and sisters, you ever sat on them to show your authority? Uh, it's not as funny for the younger sibling, but I sense that kind of dynamic here. This thing that was supposed to be permanent, this, uh, this tool of uh, death's preservation it has now been uh, sat upon. Uh, authority is exerted over it. And I just kind of imagine going, what? And crossing his legs and looking at the guards who are now passed out. Um, I think that's funny. <laughs> um, okay. So I want to spend uh, some time pointing to some communities. We've been talking about ideas, and I've been giving you examples and telling stories and uh, anecdotes and things like that, but I want to show you some communities, pictures of people and activities that I think really bring, um, bring prophetic imagination to the forefront and, and help us see. Okay, what, is, what does this look like? That's the perennial question in seminary, by the way, if you go to seminary. Um, Professor, uh, I'm just kind of wondering, what does this look like? <laughs> I'm tired of thinking. Um, Show me the answer key. Uh, so, I want to show you what I think this looks like, and not only me, not only what I think. The, uh, the first two examples I'm going to show you are from the book. So, if you look uh, in the, the, the latter, I can't, it's not, it's not a chapter, uh, it's just one of the, uh, the final little essays he writes, he gives examples. He says, these are, these are examples that I know from, from my experience. So, the first two I'm going to show you are from Brueggemann's book, and then the third I'm going to show you is one that, that I want to share. So, you've heard me uh, mention the Religious Coalition for Nonviolent Durham probably over the years, but I've also mentioned them in one of our weeks that we shared earlier. I want to show you some pictures. Religious Coalition for Nonviolent Durham exists uh, to do three things. They exist to bring awareness to gun violence in Durham. Every year about 30 people are shot and killed by guns. Um, and they go uh, and minister to the families. They, and uh, they do a beautiful thing um, called prayer vigils. This is the first thing they do. So this is at the site of the death. This is where somebody was murdered. So it's a desecrated place. And part of their ministry is to go to the desecrated place with the family, with the family's permission, this, this isn't a quick thing, it's like this plan, there's pastoral care that's part of all this, it's a very tender, gentle way into doing this with the, the family of the victim. Uh, and the, and they, they prioritize and privilege the family members and give them time to speak. 
a clergy person is present. They pray. They lead a, the, the liturgy of the vigil. Anybody can come. And as you can see, just about everybody does come. All, all, all walks of life, you will find at these events. It's a, it's a little Pentecost. Um, I got to lead one of those vigils. It's a really great honor and a very powerful experience for me. Um, but that's one of the three things that this organization does. And uh, they also have monthly meals. So they break bread together. There's table again. And uh, the meals are for anybody. They're free. That you can come or not. And you get to know people. You make new friends. And, and you talk about issues. You, talk, you make plans, perhaps for another vigil. Or uh, you talk about what's going on in the city. How, how you can be involved. And, um, it's, a, it's a time of fellowship. It's energizing life-giving. And then there's reconciliation and reentry. Uh, there's a program for reconciliation and reentry for these are former uh, imprisoned women uh, who are free now and are celebrating a worship service, a community worship service. And I just love this picture. You can see the joy on all three of their faces. It's amazing. It's energizing. But they needed help. Coming out of prison, you need help. You need a community. You need resources. Um, and those of you here who do this work, you know, in an intimate way, the challenges that people face when they come out of prison. So um, that's the Religious Coalition for a Nonviolent Durham. Uh, this is my friend, Marsha Owen. Former executive director, she stepped down in 2016. Uh, this is a, an incredible person, um, and I would love to have her come here sometime. Uh, but she started out uh, in, in a Bible study, and um, Methodist church member went to Bible study and just called to this dream and began to participate in found herself in this leadership role. Uh, and she's really a funny person, very sensitive, deep thinker, and really, for many years, the prime mover for this organization. Um, she just had the courage to cross the threshold, to cross the street, to cross the tracks, in many cases, and go to the neighborhoods where this was happening, and meet the people, and just begin to listen to them. And that's, and that's how the, the organization grew. The second one that Brueggemann talks about uh, is an organization in Memphis, Tennessee called Church Health. And Church Health, I think it's maybe 40 years old now. It was founded by this gentleman, Dr. Scott Morris. Uh, when he got his uh, seminary degree, and he was like, that's not going to be enough. I'm going to go to medical school now. And so he did that too. Uh, he, he was a Methodist minister and then went to medical school. So in 1985, Memphis uh, has been a time very impoverished, large city, and a lot of people without health care. And uh, by 1986, he was working with churches and community leaders, including the YMCA. That's become really popular. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. so, to establish this, this organization. 
by uh, in September 1st, 1987, they opened and they cared for 12 people. Uh, now it's thousands. And he still leads, I think, uh, I mentioned him in a sermon last summer. At that time he was still working. And he recently said that the only way we can act is if we're certain. We'll never do anything. What if we actually used our uncertainty about the future to work together? It could change the world. It could change how we care for each other. So uh, all kinds of doctors, nurses, administrators, people in, the, in healthcare uh, help make this organization go. And they offer free healthcare to thousands of, of working poor people in Memphis. Uh, this is Amber Rose King. She's a charge nurse. She said, uh, our patients are often very sick when they come to us. We have given some hope and a better quality of life. And others, we have simply afforded the time to process their illness and die with dignity. Um, we gave this man, she's tell, talking about a man, a farmer who just came in after he couldn't take the pain anymore. It ended up he had uh, bladder cancer. It was advanced, and they couldn't save him. Um, but she said, we gave this man the best care, the same as someone with insurance. So it's, it's hope and it's dignity. That is a prophetic ministry. All right, so uh, now I want to uh, tell you about the example that I've been thinking about the whole time I've been teaching the class for these five weeks and long before. Uh, this is a really unique community, a community that's dear to me, uh, and that I have uh, intimate knowledge of. Okay? I want you to know that, that I, I see us as a prophetic community, and I'm not going to name all the dimensions of that, but I want you to see it, and be proud of it, and live delightfully, more deeply into it. Um, we sort of stand out already from the outside in. Uh, we feed people. Um, and this ministry is growing and, and changing. And it's remarkable that it has survived COVID. It's back. It's growing again. And we're aiming for the full flourishing of a weekly program. Uh, but to come in to lunch at the crossroads on a Thursday is to come into a little glimpse of God's kingdom. It's a place where people belong. Uh, you don't you come and and buy without money and without price. Remember Isaiah? Um, clothes, food, friendship, uh, belonging, and it's beautiful and it's free. And we send our youth to Quantity of Farms that used to get shot up that was so prophetic to learn about what this looks like in other places. We have a strange thing called Via Caris. Now this is really weird. Nobody even knows what Via Caris means. Uh, it means way of grace, but it's in two different languages. And we still laugh at one of the professors when we ask them for feedback. 
So they loved the, they loved the book, but they didn't like the title. Uh, they found the, uh, the juncture between Latin and Greek jarring. <laughs> Forgive us. However, um, how many large congregations do y'all know have a rule of life? Their own catechesis. And part of that rule of life is reading the Psalms daily. You may have a you may have improvised on that practice, but if you're reading the Psalms, you're reading laments and phrases, and you're being shaped daily by the language of our faith. Uh, shaped, uh, formed to see what we wouldn't otherwise see. This is unique. It, it, it's become part of our life together. It, it, is, it is an energizing expression and an animating force of our prophetic community. We take care of children. And not only that, we're making, we've got designs now on blessing children all over the country with CARES Parenting. And to share the gifts of our community, the beauty that we've seen that's possible uh, with, by creating resources for children everywhere. Um, we, we want countless children at night for their, one of their parents or caretakers to come and, and bless them and teach them how to bless. God be in your head. God be in your eyes. Your mouth. We, we are blessing young people with singing uh, who might not otherwise have the chance. Uh, and this has been uh, renewed after being dismantled uh, by COVID. Look at this. This is energizing. This is amazing. We had three registrations in September. We have over 50 now. There's something here. There's, there's something new happening. There's something beautiful happening. And all these children are going to be blessed and they're going to share that blessing. We support people who are leading prophetic communities around the world. It's Jenny Jenkins. She's a, the mission, missionary to Haiti through Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. We've partnered with her. We're a sponsor for her. Um, and uh, that's a prophetic thing to do. We're, we're not just here. We're, we share these blessings around the world. Haiti, Puerto Rico, Cuba. Uh, each one of these missions has its own unique quality. Uh, and I haven't yet been to Haiti or Puerto Rico, but I've been to Cuba. And it's really remarkable how we're not just doing things for people in Cuba, we're being with people in Cuba. We're in solidarity with people who have been disenfranchised and who are marginalized by all kinds of economic and political forces. Uh, it's a very crucial ministry for teaching us what ministry really is. Uh, we come bearing gifts, and we meet people who are sharing many more gifts. That's the symphony orchestra. 
They didn't have anywhere to go. We built a stage for them. They love it here. Uh, Darko, the uh, conductor, has said, I'm not going back to Tomsville. <laughs> this sounds so great in here. I'm not going. So that's blessing too. And, it, and it's part, it's just one little facet of the prophetic imagination that I see uh, activated here. And this isn't just recent, this is a tradition here. But I want you to see that and see it in these categories. Encourage that. Uh, recognize critique and pathos. Encourage that. Uh, not just banging people on the head, but real critique. Dismantling critique. Um, recognize the energizing and the amazement of, the, of demonstrations of the gospel. And it may not be something I've pictured here. It may be something more hidden. Like yeast and like leaven in the dough. Uh, but it, but it's, it's catalyzing something that's really beautiful. A, a holy friendship. Uh, a restored friendship. This is, a, this is a picture of a prophetic community. The body of Christ. That's us. So, prophetic imagination has changed my life. I commend it to you. And um, if I may, if you will humor me, I will commend one, one more thing to you. Just one final uh, recommendation for how to see uh, and, and, and live in and enact the prophetic imagination. I want all of you to think of yourselves as changing time zones. Okay, so we have worldly time. But not here. We have God's time. We have liturgical time. So when you imagine yourself going through, beginning with Advent, the season of Christmas, the season of Epiphany, which we're about to conclude with Transfiguration and commence with the season of Lent. Then on to Holy Week. The Holy Week distills the whole story. Come, join us for uh, the Stations of the Cross. Because you have to pass through the grief to get to the joy, remember? You can't skip to that. Come live the story out. We'll celebrate on Easter. Energizing. Amazing. Then the season of Easter, we look for resurrection everywhere. And then the season of Pentecost marks the time of, of uh, the church's growth and the breaking of, of boundaries and the old social orders crumbling, dismantled, uh, people living together, worshiping together who would never be together if it weren't for this place. That's God's time. That's liturgical time. Change your time zone. Recognize that that's what's happening. Familiarize yourself with, the, with God's story year in and year out. And your eyes will be open. And your imagination will expand. And uh, I think that's a really wonderful transition to my last 
line here for you tonight. If you'll remember my first line, I sang it. I got it now. I got to sing my last line. We'll begin with a spin. Traveling in the world of my imagination. What we'll see will defy explanation.